Good morning, everyone. Hope you guys are having a good three-day weekend, Memorial Day weekend. I'm sorry if my, if my voice sounds a little crazy. I, I was out yesterday with my cousin uh, doing karaoke. Perhaps not the best, the wisest decision to make uh, before the day you, know, you preach, but alas, here we are. So welcome, guys. So if you guys have, have known me for a while, um, there are two topics in Christianity that I love to study and explore. So on the one hand, I love to, store, uh, I love to study uh, about the theology of suffering. What's wrong with this guy? Why, why does he like to study this? Right? Why does suffering happen? Why do we suffer? But on the other hand, at the exact other polar opposite, um, I also love to study and explore the theology of hope. And I believe when we combine these two theologies together, we begin to have a very practical theology that addresses um, the problems of real life. And what I find so unusual about real life um, is that there's always this constant tension in our spiritual faith, right? Where there's almost like a, a paradox of opposites. As Christians, we experience inexpressible joy, um, yet at the same time, we also experience unfathomable suffering. Um, where we are torn on one side to celebrate the goodness of God, yet on the other side, we wrestle with his silence in the face of tragedy. And so today, I, I want to invite all of us to, to embark on this little spiritual journey of mine, to get a glimpse of my wrestles uh, with God. But hopefully, my goal is that through this journey, uh, we will all come out the other side a little stronger, uh, a little bolder, and hopefully much closer to our God who we call Abba, Father. Uh, so today, let us read Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 5. And it reads, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. But not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you with a, with a heart full of gladness, but also a heart full of trouble. We are torn between your kingdom, your kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of this world. And so I pray today that you'll open up our eyes to the paradoxes of life. I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts so that in all circumstances, whether good or bad, we can always turn our eyes to you with hope. So as we begin today's sermon, uh, titled Enduring Hope, um, ironically, we begin today's sermon by talking about Paul's conclusion. Um, we see that the, the very first word of today's passage starts with, therefore. Uh, so before we, we unpack the rest of today's message, I think it would make a lot of sense uh, to kind of talk about what Paul has been arguing for in the past few chapters. And we're not going to go too, you know, too in-depth. We're not going to do a, do a crazy deep dive. But the general argument uh, Paul has been making is that humanity is utterly wicked, uh, that although we know God, we neither glorified God nor gave thanks to God, that we sin against God and we sin against each other. And in chapter 3, we, we have the very famous section uh, of Romans where Paul quotes throughout the Old Testament various verses that show that there is no one righteous, not even one, that all of us deserve the judgment and the wrath of God. However, 
Paul doesn't leave us there, right? In this, in this state of judgment and in this state of wrath, we also begin to see the very first paradox, that in the midst of our transgressions and our unfaithfulness to God, God still remains faithful to us. Um, we've seen Pastor Andy talk about this in the past few weeks with, with God's faithfulness to Jonah in, in a variety of circumstances. And as we receive God's faithfulness to us today, we in turn are justified in our trust in God. And this brings me to my first point today, the hope of justification. And what is this, what is this hope of justification? The hope of justification is this paradoxical message that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That despite falling short of God's glory, Christ died on the cross for our sins and for the sins of this world. And that though the death of the right and through the death of the righteous one, we are given the right to be called children of God. That although, although the world and the law might call us sinners, we hope in the knowledge that in the eyes of God, we are given a new permanent status as his children and as his body. And this hope of justification holds in this in intention our, our old selves and our new selves. It holds intention that while we are still sinners, we are still justified, right? It, Martin Luther's famous quote in Latin, right? Simul justus et peccator, right? Simultaneously justice, uh, justified and sinner. And what the hope of justification teaches us is that there is a reversal. There is a reversal in the sense that while we are weak in our sin, we are made strong through the blood of Christ. That while we are dead in our sin, we are made alive in Christ. That while we are slaves to sin, we are now set free in Christ. That although God's law convicts us and rejects us as unholy, God affirms us as holy and as unblemished in his sight. Brothers and sisters, this is the hope of justification, that from death comes new life in Christ, that the old has gone and that the new creation, the grand reversal, is here. And because of our hope and our justification, Paul goes on to say that having been justified through faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, peace is, peace is an interesting word. You know, it's, for me, it's a little funny talking about this because you know, it's, it's something we all wish we had in, in like the past like two years, pretty much. With, you know, it's craziness of COVID, the craziness, craziness of life. And for most people, when, when we talk about peace, it's almost understood as an internal state of calmness, right? An internal state where you are unmoved by the craziness of life. And amongst my generation, and I'm sure in generations prior, um, this has been something we've all been striving for, this, this internal calmness, this internal peace. And some people try to develop, develop it through meditation, through stoicism, uh, through maybe painting art, playing music, or myself, mindlessly watching TV or YouTube. Um, that actually does not bring peace. But the thing is, the hope of justification points to a greater peace. And that, as Paul says, a peace with God. Notice carefully, Paul doesn't say peace from God or peace of God. Paul is talking specifically about peace with God. A peace that was birthed out of hostility and that while we were enemies of God, Christ reconciled us. 
there is now peace between God and man, a peace that doesn't depend on some sort of experience in our souls or even actions we perform. Why? Because this peace is given to us through Christ, where through Christ's action on the cross, we now have peace with God, where we no longer have to contemplate the questions of our eternity, where we no longer have to contemplate whether we are still loved. Our peace with God is more than just a pleasurable sensation of happiness or calmness in our heart. Our peace with God is a declaration made by God where under any and every circumstance, we are deeply loved and we are deeply cherished without condition, where there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so, through the hope of justification, we, we have hope knowing that we are given a new status of, of being innocent before God, but we also receive a new relationship with God where he is at peace with us, where our hearts are also at peace with him. But Paul's message of hope doesn't end just there. As he moves forward in the passage, saying that through whom we have gained access into this grace in which we now stand, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And for my second point today, I, I want to explore that a little bit more, the boasting in the hope of the glory of God. Let's take a quick step back for a moment. And let's see Paul's line of thinking here. So Paul, he starts off in Romans by saying that, by saying that basically we are sinners, right? That's, that's what we were talking about. Then he introduces the gospel message then earlier, as we just read, we've been justifi uh, justified. There's now a reversal. We are now at peace with God. And from this argument, he finally ends here that we can now boast in the hope of the glory of God. And I'll be honest, you know, if I didn't do any research, if I didn't do any reading, and you're going to ask me what this meant, I would look as confused as you are. You know, what do you mean by boasting? How, how can we boast in God's glory? What does that even mean? What, what does that even look like? And in the New Testament, when we see the word boast, it comes up several times. But wherever we see it in Scripture, uh, whether someone's boasting about someone or something, it always implies a sense of confidence. Uh, in fact, some commentators, they prefer to translate this word not as boast, but as joyful confidence. And this is a very powerful point, especially when we relate it to the idea of hope. Now, in the English language, at least, when, whenever we talk about hope, it's, it's always in the sense of hoping for the best. Uh, there's an acknowledgement that perhaps things might not turn out the way we would like it to. Um, I hope I can pass this exam. I, I hope I can get this job. I hope this turns out well. Um, talking to a few friends who are involved in this crazy crypto craze, I hear them say all the time, you know, dear God, I, I really hope this goes back up. But there's always a sense of doubt when we talk about hope. There's always a sense that maybe it's just a 50-50 proposition. Maybe it's just a coin toss. Maybe it'll end up okay. Maybe it won't. Um, as one of my old friends used to call it, he used to call hope idiotic optimism. Now, perhaps I, I wouldn't frame hope in such cynical and, and negative way, but I do find it a little amusing in that the way we think of hope we actually secretly acknowledge that there is no guarantee that things will turn out well. In many ways, it is just optimism that things will turn out in a way that is just favorable for us. 
And when we think of hope, especially the hope of the gospel, sometimes our ideas of uncertainty and doubt might creep in, right? Am I really saved? Do I, do I have to do more? Must I come to church to earn God's favor? Do I have to read the Bible more? Do I have to go off to be a missionary in, in some unknown place? You know, how do I really know I'm saved? And I believe these are all good questions, and I encourage all people to wrestle with them. But the interesting thing is that the hope that Paul presents here does not at all imply doubt or uncertainty. It is not a 50-50 proposition. The hope of God's glory for Paul is absolute. In Paul's mind, it is clear that it is something that is not left up to the hands of fate. Now, how do we know this? Because this is something that Paul calls us to boast about, something he calls us to be joyfully confident of. Because unlike many things in life where our fate is left in the hands of other people or into the hands of happenstance, the fate of our eternal lives lies in the hands of our Father who created us and loved us. It rests on what Christ did on the cross and the promise of his resurrection, and it rests on what we celebrated last week, where we are now filled with the Holy Spirit as a deposit or as a guarantee of our eternal salvation. So let us be joyfully confident of this message, knowing that the day we are transformed into Christ-likeness is not wishful thinking, it is a fact. It is a reality that we will all embrace. And so as we round up our discussion on hope today, uh, we end by discussing perhaps one of my favorite verses in Romans. And so for our final point today, I'd like to talk about the hope of suffering. Now, those two words, under most circumstances, they, they should never appear next to each other. Hope of suffering? What are you talking about? And no sooner does, does Paul talk about, you know, the hope of the gospel, right, the shining brilliance of God's glory, does he turn to address the darkness that lies around him. Paul is obviously by no means a stranger to suffering, right? As Paul himself, he was thrown into prison. He was executed for his faith. This guy knows suffering. And in his travels, it would not be too bewildering to imagine that those whom he ministered to were poor, sick, and outcasts of society. And as one commentator puts it, describing this particular section, I, I just find it so beautiful. He says, in the peace of God, in the peace of God, there is sighing and murmuring and weakness. Christians are full of longing and they cry in their misery, Abba, Father. There is a suffering, a sinking, a being lost, a being rent asunder in the peace of God. And the question is, in the midst of this feeling of deep darkness, how can Paul ask us to rejoice and glory in our sufferings? It almost seems offensive, but Paul answers this question two ways. The first way Paul answers this question is that he asks us to reframe our idea of suffering. Suffering, if left alone and unaddressed, often drives a wedge, right, between our relationship with God, where we begin to doubt the goodness of God, where we begin to doubt the promises of God, but it also drives a wedge between us and those around us as we become more bitter and more resentful towards others. But it also drives a wedge within us, 
where we unfortunately tend to steer towards attitudes of despair and hopelessness. And the thing is, Christians, we, we experience genuine hardships, just like anyone else. There is no difference. This is the reality of living in a broken world. But what Paul is saying here is rather than letting suffering invade our lives like a toxic poison, Paul asks us instead to glorify in it. Why? Well, first, we see Paul say that suffering produces perseverance, which could also be translated as patient endurance. And the idea of perseverance or patient endurance is the idea of you know, developing the ability to bear up under or to be made even stronger through suffering. And this idea is really common through Pauline theology, where he often talks about the Christian faith as, as a marathon, where he is a long-distance runner. And for me, this, this image strikes home. Uh, for some of you who, who, have might, who might have seen me um, on the pier, I started to make running a goal of mine uh, since last year. And I remember the first time I started, it was absolutely miserable. It, it was unbearable. I had you know, zero stamina. I had zero endurance. Uh, in fact, I used to joke with my friends that watching people run would make me go out of breath. And after my very first run, where I would alternate between jogging and walking, I remember walking back home with my jello legs. I remember opening the door, seeing my flight of stairs, and then weeping uncontrollably. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, running, it sucks. It's intense. It's uncomfortable. But despite how uncomfortable it was, I kept at it. Each week, I would force myself to run just a little longer. And the only way I could mentally endure this was thinking, okay, I know this is going to make me stronger. I just have to run a little bit more, just, just a few more steps than last time. And with this idea, with this attitude of patient endurance, I was able to go from running for, for basically a minute, a city block, before going out of breath, to running an entire five kilometers by the end of the summer, running for 35 minutes straight. And when it, come, when it comes to suffering, Paul wants us to adopt a very similar attitude. Absolutely, running sucks. Absolutely, suffering is awful. But as we bear up under the stress and under the load, we know that we become stronger. We know that we begin to develop an attitude where we know that this suffering, this stress, it will not drive a wedge between my relationship with God and my relationship with others, or even my relationship with myself, that I will not let this poison my soul. And as we continue to patiently endure, we begin to develop a tested character, a character that knows that despite suffering, that God is still good, that God is still faithful, and that God's promises still stand. And from this tested character, that is the source of our hope that although suffering under most normal circumstances is a tool from Satan to drive us away from God, we can now rejoice and glorify in suffering, knowing that it can drive us even closer to God, that it brings us into a deeper relationship with Christ, who is the suffering servant. And so the first way we see that suffering is a source of hope is that through trials and tribulations, we learn to be braced to be patient, where the questionableness of our situation becomes instead a source of strength, since through it we know that is God's way of growing us and saving us. 
But the hope of suffering doesn't just end with a tested character and incredible mental fortitude. The hope of suffering ends with the hope of the gospel that does not put us to shame. The hope of suffering is also the hope of our faith, which we hold dear. It's a hope that tells us that God's love has been poured out to us through the death of Christ and has been poured out through the Holy Spirit who now lives in all believers. The hope that no matter how awful the trials and tribulations are that we face in this life, that there is a greater glory that awaits us, a glory that doesn't just balance out our current sufferings, but a glory and a future that far outweighs it entirely, a hope that we will one day celebrate with God in a new heaven and a new earth as the full body of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I, I want to leave you today uh, with these final words from John Calvin, who says, Proclamation of the gospel brings great hope. They, being Christians, hope beyond all other hope, and this hope is life in the reality of God. It is salvation and final redemption, that although they be now pilgrims upon earth, yet they confidently hasten onward toward the place which is beyond all heavens, guarding their future heritage peacefully in their hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the strength to hope beyond all hope, to look upon the trials of life and glory in them, knowing that the tools of the enemy that are used to frustrate us are turned on its head and are now your tools to strengthen us and to bring us closer to you. We thank you, Lord, for the salvation you have given us while we are still sinners. We thank you for the power of your love, a power that allows us to glory and hope, a power that allows us to have peace with God, and a power that makes us, who are not, a new creation eternally loved by you. And so we pray, Lord, to remind us of your love daily, just as you poured out your Holy Spirit on Pentecost. So we pray, Lord, that your Spirit will be poured out anew in our hearts in all circumstances so that we can always turn our eyes to you in praise. Amen.